How would you use a Rat King in your own campaign? What would it be like to play in a game as a Vortex Dragon? What attributes does a Pumpkin Leshy have again? On Random Encounters, we answer those questions and more. Each week, I, Nick, pull a random monster from a random manual. Matt and Brandon try to guess what it is based on flavor text, and then we all discuss. We have over 20 manuals to pull from, and over 5,000 monsters contained therein. We're in for a podcast that's sure to be, choose your own answer, A. Scary, B. Adorable, C. Funny, D. Intriguing, E. All of the above. So tune in every Monday for a new monster to play as, add to your campaign, or just be introduced to for the very first time. That's Random Encounters from the Feckless Momes Audio Network. Search your cast catcher of choice and you'll find us there. Subscribe so you don't miss a single monster. Make fast your bow line, trim your starboard running lights, and ring the night watch bell. Because it's time to talk tall to me. I'm Omen Said. And I'm Nick McGill. We are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Tall to Me. The podcast where Omen and I adventure through the chronological order of Jethro Tull songs, exploring each one and talking about it week by week. There are sirens, there are rocks, and we will navigate you through all of them on the seven seas of Tull. There's Charybdis and... Oh, I forget the other one. I always forget the other one. Cherubis, is it? Cherahibdis, mm. please join us for our other podcast. Talk classical Gleek, Greek mythology to me. <laughs> so oh, Nick, I, I always forget that one. Yes, Omen. What song do we have the pleasure to fill our sails with this week? This week is just a stunning arrangement of a beautiful song, and it is. Reasons for waiting. Let's take a listen. Wow, Omen, I I think at at this point, everybody knows how I feel about this song. Yes, fortunately, we did get you a waterproof mic. That's right. Because we don't want a repeat of what happened last time. It turns out that recording elements are very sensitive to tears. It's, it's all the salt, really. It's, it's the salt. Yeah, no. So, yeah, Nick, I'm, I'm curious. First reactions, just, just words. Speak words out of your mouth, out the gate. What does this song do for you? Sweet, soft, yes. gentle. Yes. But enough about me. Let's hear about the song. And not necessarily a romantic love, but an agape love, a pathos love almost. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So fascinating. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I I just want to say the way that Ian Anderson 
makes love to my ear holes with that sweet flute harmony oh. is just breathtaking. It's just, it's, oh my God. It just, it just makes you, it just softens your heart. It really is so gorgeous. Yeah, the first sentence in my notes say, the dual flutes melt my heart. It's incredible. It's so gorgeous. But it's so simple too, which is one of the things yeah. that I like the most about it. Is it's just it's just two flutes, just working well together. And do we know if it? Do we know if it? Much much like this podcast, two, two fruits working well together. <laughs> do we know if it's if it's a dual track, Ian, or or is it uh is it our friend uh, Lancelot on the second flute? Any idea? I'm gonna bet as we look it up that it's it's both Ian because I think that this I think actually that I think this is a heavy Ian track I believe that that's him on the guitar as well oh you think so I, I do I do let's um let's look it up see I was gonna say it's him on both flutes but it's bar for a change on the acoustic could be while you're looking that up I'll just gush a little bit more yeah, please do. This song is my everything. Like of all the of all the ones that I I are my favorite favorite on this album, this tops it. And I'm so happy that it's it's the last of my favorites and it's really it's the second to last song on the album. And it's just it's so beautiful and it it just it's almost a lullaby. Mm. And I it it could be for this this song, there's nothing so specific in the lyrics that it couldn't be for a child just as much as it could be for a lover. Yeah, it's a very complex, I would say. It, it, it's a very intense um, relationship. Mm. Yeah. Oh, wait, so which which track is this in the album? Like what number? Yeah. This is nine, I believe. <gasps> Whoa, so you were right, Nick. That is Martin Lancelot Barr on the additional flute. Wow. No, no, see, I thought it was Ian on both flutes and then martin on the guitar but that's uh that's old old martin lancelot on the on the flute and and ian anderson on the acoustic guitar wow yeah yeah yeah. so you were right that was your well i thought it was all ian anderson all the way oh yeah we were both right we were both wrong the story of my life we were both tight we were both long (laughs) oh god i don't it was the, I'm sorry. It was the best of mimes. It was the worst of mimes. <laughs> Stop reading my website. So, yeah, the other thing. So, I, I was, I, I, my reaction to it is that it's so emotionally taut. Mm-hmm. It's so not strained, but just thrumming with with realness. It's like when you when you can't put how strongly you feel about something into words and then you do and then you do but it 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 feels inadequate it feels like ian couldn't put how strongly he felt about something into the music and this is he's giving it his best and his all and there's so much passion behind it yeah and then on that final verse when those strings kick in if you're not crying at that point like game over yeah Thank you. 
beautiful. And that's our first real glimpse at some good solid string, some orchestral string work. That's true on this album. There, there, there's there's not. Did they leave it until the until the very last track to do any kind of strings? Second to last, yeah. Wow, that's so cool. And then it's a great preview of some of the really fine string pieces that are coming up right later in the works but they right. all have i don't know if it's him doing the orchestration for those string pieces but all of the string pieces whether it's on war child whether it's on heavy horses or whatever they all have a tall feel to them what a reason for waiting and dreaming of dreams so on this track, it was Dee Palmer who was the string arranger and conductor. Okay, that name is familiar. I I definitely think she sticks around with them for quite a run. Uh, so that would actually explain why all the the later ones, all the strings that we hear later on, why it has that kind of that really cohesive feel right. in terms of theme. Well, and this is one of the first kind of big string moments in in the tall history and there are a lot more later on so let's put a flag in miss palmer and we'll uh we'll we'll take a look as that comes up more in the future yeah absolutely let's address it uh the next time we hear strings and i'm sure at least for the next couple of times it's going to be d i would imagine so so let's see how far these relationship with tall goes yeah right what a sight for my eyes to see you in sleep Could it stop the sunrise So Nick, mm-hmm. you we're talking about emotions, we're talking about feelings, we're talking about putting those feelings into words and into songs and how special a track this is. I would like to posit a theory. Please. This album was recorded in 1969, Mm -hmm. the waning days of 1969. Ian Anderson married his first wife, Jenny Franks, in 1970. Wow. And I'm wondering if this is a dedication to the woman that he was about to marry, because it doesn't feel, it doesn't have the feeling of some of the other songs where it's sort of like, you know, you know the sort of Jethro Tull song that I'm talking about. I saw her while I was on tour. She was super hot. She yeah. didn't like me, and now I'm writing a song about it. Or even if it's a song where he hit it off with the girl while he was on tour. Right. She liked me, and then I had to leave. Yeah. There's a lot more to this. This feels a lot more personal as opposed to just kind of a generic experience. The line that tipped me off was came a thousand miles just to catch you while you're smiling Whew. if that's not love so you're saying that that made you think that it was for his future wife yeah that made me think that it was it was about someone with whom he was in a real relationship and he came back from tour literally yeah he came a thousand he came literally a thousand miles sure Maybe just to see her briefly. Who knows? Yeah, they were, I'm sure they were touring when not in the studio recording. I'm sure they were touring at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Would you like to hear a little bit 
more about Jenny Franks. Yeah, I think that could be useful in terms of a Tolkienologist dig to maybe reference later on. So she was an artist, as you may not be shocked to hear. She is a photographer, actress, playwright. She actually, this is something that we should revisit in a couple of albums. She is credited with writing some of the lyrics. Wait, are you ready for your mind to be blown? Please. On the song Aqualung. I knew the name Jenny sounded familiar. Mm-hmm. I knew it. Mm-hmm. So so they were together for a little bit. 1970 to 1974. Okay. And Aqualung, let's see... So this is 69. Aqualung was released in 71. Yeah, because Benefit's next for 70 and then Aqualung for 71, right? So it was really, yeah, so it was really being recorded. They recorded it from 70 to 71. So it was really in the early, the honeymoon phase of their relationship. Obviously, it didn't the marriage didn't last super long. But, you know, if if our theory is correct, and this is a song for for Jenny Franks, Mm-hmm. then you know you definitely hear that it's a, it's a real it's a real connection in this in this early moment yeah and you know not every relationship lasts but it's interesting to see this sort of record literally to see this record of basically timestamps and try to piece them together chronologically essentially yeah i mean it's yeah and and you know even even from our perspective in the future in the future of when this was recorded, knowing that the relationship didn't work, it's beautiful to see this moment of a relationship where there was so much hope and, and feeling in there. Yeah, I want, let's see, 74. So after Aqualung, I'm trying to see where they were musically and relationship-wise, like what happened in 74. 74 was Thick as a Brick, I think. Oh, interesting. Did he go a little cuckoo on her? Well, I guess we can we can ask it. This is another... Ladies and gentlemen, this is a lot of... We're flagging a lot of things for further discussion. Yeah. On this episode, I think that we should keep in mind when we get to 1974, we will pose, we will repose ourselves the question, did the album result from the dissolution of Ian Anderson's marriage? Or did his marriage <laughs> dissolve because he was recording Thick as a Brick? Or did the, the dissolution of the marriage cause Thick as a Brick? Right, exactly. You know the um you know the old story about Charlie Chaplin? Uh I mean I, I know plenty of stories about Charlie Chaplin. Well, as you may know, he had he married often. <laughs> and Early and often. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and the pattern for a number of years was you can like, if you look at his filmography and marriages, you see that there is this pattern of he meets a beautiful, young, very young woman. They marry. He starts filming a, uh, his next film. And during the editing process of the film. Oh, no. Because he was such an obsessive lunatic and he was, he demanded that he, 
you know, he re- he orchestrated the music. He was there for the recording of the music. He matched the music up to the film. He edited the, ed- edited the film himself. He would not sleep for days and days and days on end. He would get divorced because the the wife would in- would inevitably be like, "You are an insane person. I can't deal with you. <laughs> it's over." Right. And then he would go through the whole thing again for the next film. But a lot of his divorces coincide with the editing process for his films. So, anyway. Was he like Dar... Callback to the Darwin episode. Didn't he marry a cousin? Am I making that up? Charlie Chaplin? Yeah. He married someone's cousin. Oh, I guess I was right then. Uh, I don't know. I don't think he ever married his own cousin. No, I don't think so. He just married very young. He married... He had a tendency to go after women who were younger. Okay. Because I, I knew there was something about his marriages. I just, I guess I just didn't remember. Oh, yes. There were a lot of things about his marriages. It was, <laughs> it was one of those. Well, he, yeah, he clearly had a thing for young women. Mm-hmm. Some of them were totally, you know, legal if... If statutory laws were even around back then. Yeah, I don't know if they were or not, but there were definitely there were definitely some instances where he, by any by any definition, clearly overstepped laws of legality and/or decency. Yeah, but you can hear more about that on Talk Charlie Chaplin to Me, the new podcast. Chat Chaplin to Me, Chat Chaplin to Me by Feckless Moms. So Nick, yeah. Now that we're nearing the end of this album mm-hmm. and our our listeners have heard what we have had to say at length about this album, would you like to hear what Rolling Stone had to say about this album? Absolutely. In December of 1969. Yeah, like the, the actual original review of this album. This is the original review of this album by Mr. Ben Gerson. My favorite. Published... December 13th, 1969. Wow. Yeah, give it to me. All right. No, Jethro Tull is not just another English blues band. Wait, this was, this, was... was this guy British? Oh. Rolling Stone was an American magazine, wasn't it? Let me restart. <laughs> no, Jethro Tull is not just another English blues band. This was, their first album, made some gestures in that direction, obligatory in a way... For the time, summer of 68. <laughs> In its differences, it was intriguing even as it disappointed. Its, in- its inadequacies were unconventional. The essential problem seemed to be a style in search of a subject. Huh. Shall I keep going? Yeah, yeah, please. Bob Dylan once said that the English know how to pronounce marvelous better than Americans, but that they have a little trouble with raunchy. Stand Up, Jethro Tell's new album, has a fairly low raunch quotient, true to form, but it is quite marvelous. For one thing, the band's orientation is more definite than before. With the removal of Rick Abrams... To form Bloodwind Pig, the musical tug-of-war which could be heard on the first album has here been effectively curtailed. Wait, did you say Rick Abrams? Apparently, yeah. (laughs) 
Okay. That's what it says. I, I, I believe you. I totally believe you. That's bizarre. I will be writing a strongly worded letter to Rolling Stone magazine. Sending it away. Ian Anderson simply dominates the proceedings, doing all the writing and singing, and playing a potpourri of instruments. He revels a melodic gift on the album not apparent on the earlier one, a fuller awareness of the coloristic possibilities of the flute, and a catholicity of taste. Wow. Gonna have to... Someone get this guy an editor. Like, you're, you're, not, you're not impressing anybody, dude. He was snorting a thesaurus just before he wrote this. It was the 60s. Everything was crazy. Stand-up no, has snorting, great... Snorting coke out of a thesaurus. That's, oh, that's yeah. what it was. Stand-up has great textural interests due in part to a more sophisticated recording technique. Hmm. In part to the organ, mandolin, balilakia, etc., which Anderson plays to enrich each song. The band is able to work with different musical styles, but without a trace of the facile glib manipulation which strains for attention. I can hear ethnic influences throughout the album, a hint of Greek rhythms on the flute break of We Used to Know, and in the body of 4,000 Mothers. Not the title of the song. 4,000 Mothers? 4,000 Mothers. What? What? Was he just like piecing it together by 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 what he heard on the radio? Like I don't you know. I'm, writing is hard, Nick. I mean, I imagine it's... that Rolling Stone had the album. Well, it was a dimly lit room. What what can I say? With no editors, again, I'll stick by that. But they are too well assimilated to be easily pinpointed. Bure has that unmistakable Baroque swing, a suggestion of the traditional English round, some jazz interludes, and a straightforward, yet breathtaking, bass solo before it winds its way to completion. Jeffrey Goes to Leicester Square has a sense of the vague, charming disorganization of medieval music. Look Into the Sun, which finishes side one, is in its melodic twists and turns a song of genuine poignance, with Martin Barr's guitar playing a model of lyricism and understatement. On the second side of We Used to Know, on the second side, comma, We Used to Know employs what could be called a fade-in, beginning softly and then building in volume, with bar wah-wahing madly by the end. Only reasons for waiting is slightly marred, there being a superfluous string section. Oh. Whoa! Strong words! Mr. Gerson! Good day, sir. <laughs> As I've said, the album is not really funky. Rather, it's a meticulously crafted work, no sterility implied, which deserves careful listening. At a time when many of the established stars are faltering, it is a particular pleasure to hear an important new voice. Hmm. Oh. Huh. That was a roller coaster. That was a roller coaster. My it goodness. was written on a roller coaster. <laughs> that would explain the... The egregious the, the really ridiculous names, yeah. What was it? Rick Abrams and 4,000 Mothers? 4,000 Mothers! <laughs> no, you know what? I get it. 4,000 Mothers was a song done by Ian Henderson. Ian Henderson's <laughs> Bag of Nails. Bag of Nails? In, in, a, in an alternate universe, yeah. I I can't tell you, though. You know, like, you'd, you'd think that this would be easy to do, but I, I cannot tell you how 
many times in my life my name has been misspelled or mis totally misconstrued in in press or you know basic facts you know you talk to somebody and you're like these are the basic facts and they're like i interpret these to mean something completely different and you're like wait how how did uh, you so you are you talking about our current political environment or no i'm just talking about about like maybe maybe it's the difficulty of writing good copy or writing accurate copy when you're um when you're you know when you're like uh out on the beat i suppose but i can't imagine he was out on the beat reviewing an album yeah you'd think that you'd think that he'd get some of those details more correct but anyway that's the review and i think that i think it makes some interesting points i think it's right on the nose i think that it I was going to say it repeats a lot of the things that we've said, but it, you know, it was 50 years ago. So we've repeated a lot of things that it said. Yeah. About the, about the tension in the first album and clarity, the, the stylistic clarity of, of stand up here. Yeah. And he, he had, I think that says a lot because he did not have the luxury of knowing the, Knowing the next fifty years of Jethro Tull and being and able to look back, goodness, isn't it luxurious? <laughs> I feel like I'm in a bubble bath, just a bunch of CDs in a in a bath. <laughs> yes, a sharp, cold bubble bath. <laughs> Came a thousand miles just to catch you while you're smiling. my life onto the, the lyrics. There is a... I, I really get the sense of of an articulation in a very poetic way of the realities of being in a long-distance relationship with someone. Hmm. And the, and the, the, the difficulty, but the kind of the beauty of it. You know, I think... When you're in a long-distance relationship, it's easy to... There's a little bit of idealization that it's easy to slip into because because what you have more than the reality of the person is is this idea, the memory of this person, and your, your, your plans and your hopes and your dreams about this relationship. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, you know, I'm just looking at the line, what a reason for waiting and dreaming of dreams. I mean, I think this is what the song is about. It's like, you know, not being able to be with the person that you really want to be with and having enough reason to wait to be with that person. Yeah, so so the, the very next line, so here's hoping you have faith in impossible schemes. Basically, wait out for me. Right, totally. I hope you can do this because I'm willing to do it. It almost, you know what, it, it almost... It reminds me a lot of those, you know, there's this whole kind of genre of traditional music about the sailor going off to sea and, you know, please wait for me while I go and make my fortune. Yeah. It has a sense, it has a little, a little, um, a little echo of that in there. Yeah, I can see that. It sure. has the ethnic influence of uh, early <laughs> English sailing music. <laughs> Thanks, Rick Abrams. 
that <laughs> um what was that what was this fellow's name the writer oh ben ben gerson yeah to whom we will from now on refer to as um fen merson <laughs> gen burson gen burson the the writer for rolling bone magazine <laughs> Yes, yes, he 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 got what he deserves. <laughs> Nick McGill. Uh, yes, Omen said. If this song was a sword, oh, what kind of a sword would it be? That is. Yes, I've thrown you a curveball. That's peculiar. It is the sword with which one defends their love. (gasps) Oh my god. I love that. Whether it's a two-hander or a short sword or whatever, it doesn't matter. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There might be children listening to this now. (laughs) I don't want to hear about your two-hander. Zweihander? (laughs) Is that a real thing? Yeah, it's it's a German two the, the German oh. name for two hander. Yeah. Eins Einzweid Einzweid Yeah. Vierhander? <laughs> Vierhander? <laughs> Klaus, I need your help to operate the Vierhander. And then they stand like in um the clay scene in Ghost where it's just, they're just like <laughs> caressing one another. <laughs> uh please tune in to Talk German sword porn to me <laughs> for a greater description of German sword-handed sword, sword techniques. Porn. Oh my oh. gosh. Well, I think that we should end it on a high note. We think we should go out on a high note here. What higher note than that? Indeed. Hey, Nick. Yeah, Omen. So, as you and I both know, the music of Ian Anderson and Jethro Tull is still touring to this very day. Literally as we speak. Literally. They are literally playing music right now somewhere in the world. And we just wanted to give our New York City area listeners a little heads up that Jethro Tull is going to be coming to the... Forest Hills Stadium on September 14th, 2019. That's right. Where is uh, where is the Forest Hills Stadium? That's going to be in Queens. And it's going to be Ian Anderson, Florian Opel, Scott Hammond, John O'Hara, and David Goodyear in the current lineup. That's the full list. That So that means... Yeah. That means that our friend um, Martin Barr... Thanks a lot. Martin Lancelot Barr is no longer playing. Not currently at any rate. Yeah, I understand he's touring his own uh I understand he's touring his own thing currently. Yeah, I was going to say he's no longer playing his own no, no longer playing for Tall. He is right. he's touring his own uh his own stuff right now. I think he has a, a new solo album coming out relatively soon and I believe if I remember correctly, he is doing something with Tall. 
He's celebrating 50 years of Jethro Tull's music. He's embarking on a new tour from April 2019 across America with his band, including special guests, original Tull drummer Clive Bunker. Clive Bunker! And Dee Palmer. Wow. Yeah. And he's, okay, so here's the thing with the the 50 years. He's currently in the studio recording a double album celebrating 50 years of Tull. Incredible. Meanwhile, Ian Anderson, with the current Tull lineup, is touring their Jethro Tull 50-year anniversary tour in Europe. Mm -hmm. They've got a bunch of concerts coming up. Uh, May 3rd, they're going to be in Austria. May 4th, Germany. In Stingen. May 5th. And in um, Germany in Heilbronn, and June 15th in Athens at the Odeon of Herdois Atticus. And then June 23rd, they're going to be in Italy, and then Austria, and then they come to the States in early July. From what I remember, when they do tours, they, there, there's no... Oh, we'll we'll just do a couple dates. Like they do world, literal world tours. Oh yeah, yeah. Bananas. They do tour to the Isle of Bananas. Yes. <laughs> so it looks like mostly, mostly right now they're going to be in. Uh, you know, upcoming stuff is is mostly Europe and a bit in the states. But mm-hmm. we will we'll try to keep you updated as things progress. How about that? Yeah, yeah. We'll try we'll try and tuck some snippets in here and there as uh, as we see them coming up basically yeah we'll have to look at where our strongest listener base is and basically just cater right. cater it to that i guess right but if you haven't seen Jethro Tull live or if you haven't seen them live in a long time <laughs> they, they they may not still be live i'm not going to lie <laughs> it's worth going out and um and hearing the current versions of how they're playing some of their music because Ian Anderson with his incredible attention to detail and also attention deficit disorder changes the styles of the songs pretty often as they as they tour so so it's always a treat to see them live even if some of the long hair has fallen out along the way and some of the flute tosses are more like flute pick up and plays his attention his attention deficit disorder to detail. His attention to detail deficit disorder. There we go. Thank you. Well, no, that makes it sound like he doesn't have attention to detail. His attention, his attention disorder, which which details deficit. <laughs> now he's now he sounds like an accountant. <laughs> uh, well, he's accounting for good taste. There's no accounting for that. That was painful. All right, well, this wraps up this this tour plug. They may be on the pricey side, but it's really worth it. It's really, really worth it. Tickets for the Forest Hills concert currently are sitting at $84 for the cheap seats. Yeah. $311 for the expenses. Yeah. You'd think at this point he could just be like, you know what, let's let's make them really cheap. Because he has all the money in the world at this point. He 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 can't. Does he? He can't be hurting for for. He can't be strapped for cash, right? He's he's got a lot of cats to protect. Strapped for cats. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I love it. I love everything about what just happened. <laughs> Great. So go out and get a ticket, and soon we'll be able to tell you when Talk Tall to Me live is happening. Hopefully, 
on the stage just after Ian Anderson plays and just before security kicks us off. Tickets for that will be very, very cheap. <laughs> They'll be very... We will pay you, actually. <laughs> and if nothing else, go hunt down some of their live recordings. There have been plenty, whether it's video or audio. Like, they're... I generally don't like live recordings, but for Tull, it's really, it's really an experience. Not only is it live, it makes you feel alive. It's true. Nick? Yeah? What are we listening to next week? Next week is the final song off of the original album of Stand Up. It'll be track number five off of side two, or 10 off of the CD, 4,000 mothers. No, for a thousand mothers. It's the final piece in the very, very loosely thematic family feel to this album. Ooh, good, good catch there. Yeah. Yeah, so we will be listening to For a Thousand Mothers, or as Schmen Blurson <laughs> of the Strolling Stone magazine calls it, <laughs> 4,000 mothers. Yes. I think he revealed a little about him, a little about himself on that one. Oh, oh man! Hey. Freud was having a field day on that one. Yeah. Tell me more about this Zweihand. How many muscles do you have? How many muscles do you have now? <laughs> wow. Okay. So do the thing. Rate, subscribe, review. We know that we have some people in Australia. We know that we have some people in Europe who are listening to our stuff. Yeah, and to those people, we're sorry about all the the German stuff. That was oh yeah, that, that was, was not insensitive. meant to. It <laughs> was not meant to offend you. But uh, review us, come on, get on there. I don't know how iTunes works in Australia. If we won't even see those reviews, so if you could make an American account and review us and rate us there, even better. That's above and beyond. I mean, we would totally fly to America. That. Fly to America, steal a computer, just get on the local Wi-Fi right in the. Uh, you know what? Just fly close to America, get the Wi-Fi on the plane, oh, create it, do it, better. and then you can fly right back. You don't even have to get off the plane. These are all real things that exist. That's how it works, right? Yeah, that is how it works. Now. I've, I've only ever flown once. <laughs> I told you that was a bad dream. You were fine. <laughs> I flew, I swear. I wasn't wearing uh-huh. pants. <laughs> mm-hmm. So come on back next week. And be sure to bring truffles, if you can remember. Oh my god, please do. In the meantime, forever and always, I am Nick McGill. I'm Omen Said. We are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Tall to Me. Oh, hello. Talk Told to Me is a very proud member of the Feckless Moms Network. Klaus, return!